Hey, Valley fans, you're listening to the March to the Arch podcast. Is your team going to win? Make some noise! This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news, talk, and takes. Welcome to episode two of the March to the Arch podcast in this 2020-2020 Missouri Valley Conference season. We have a fun episode for you today. We've got a great guest. Joe D'Alfonso is joining us to talk a little Valley history and uh, his involvement in the Arch Madness over the years. But before we get to that interview, how are we doing today, Baker? Uh, you know, doing all right. A lot's happened in the last week. A lot. Um, pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy since our last episode came out, uh, all the news that's come out, but, uh, yeah, and the fact that it's really cold outside. <laughs> yes, the weather has changed, we've got some postseason MLB, NBA, um, NFL's rolling, NCAA football, college football's rolling too, but, you know, back to the Valley, huge announcement in the last week or so, um, you know, a legend within the Valley. Um, our commissioner for the last 33 years, announced his retirement after the 2020-2021 season. Doug Elgin announced his retirement. Crazy. Um, kind of surreal um, because think about how long, I mean, as long as I've been alive, he's been the commissioner. That's that's the crazy part to think about. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of shocking in a way. And it's like, it feels like this is like the last just it feels like it, I don't know. It feels like change is coming, but I don't know. What do yeah. you, I don't know where you're at, but I mean, I mean, he's he's been an awesome commissioner. Oh, I don't absolutely. think there's any doubt about it. I mean, to bring the the conference tournament to like to me, a couple of his biggest moves was when the RPI was something that the Valley could control. He was one of the people front and center and getting schedule go, scheduling going on the RPI. And that's why we had a handful of years there where we were just all the whole league was up there mm-hmm. in the RPI. Another thing that he did, and I think this is more close to home for you, he brought the tournament to St. Louis. Yep. And it's become a destination every single year for the Valley. They don't play at a home sites, which I mean, there's some nostalgia to that. I know from talking to my dad and other people that how cool it was back in the day playing at Redbird Arena or at SIU Arena. But knowing that St. Louis is the venue. I think that he is owed, owed a ton of credit for that being his kind of legacy. Absolutely. I mean, one, this doesn't exist without him, or when I say this, this podcast. Uh, my Very fandom true. doesn't exist probably to the extent that it does. Uh, maybe I don't go to SIU because I don't have those fond memories from my childhood going to Arch Madison, St. Louis. Um, it, it really is just... I, I want to put him out on top. I hope this is just a banner year for the Missouri Valley. I hope there's a lot of positiveness out of um, just the environment that we live in now um, that he can leave on top. I mean, just a couple accolades, you know, 33 years as commissioner. He was an NCAA committee member um, from uh, 1999 to 02. He was an IT member uh, from 2016 to 2019. I mean, Doug Elgin is Missouri Valley Conference basketball um in my mind and think about all the turn and think about like not just things that affected the valley teams themselves but uh like the valley the conference as a whole he would bring he would have like almost every year we'd always have a site for the ncaa tournament Mm -hmm. and there'd always be a game down in st louis or something where they'd have the valley logo in the corner for the men's or the women's and i feel and he had a final four in st louis i think it was oh five which was there (laughs) there you go so it's 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 just crazy to think about all the 
yeah, there's just such a lasting legacy with him. And I know we're going to dive deep. When the season's over, I think we'll do kind of a complete retrospective mm-hmm. on his whole, you know, kind of decade by decade time as the commissioner of the league. But um, it's kind of shocking news. Hats off to Harry uh, for doing yeah, a great job absolutely. with everything. If you have not listened to that interview, please go to um, Harry's website, Valley Hoops Insider, to listen to that great interview with uh, Commissioner Doug Elgin about his retirement and making that announcement. Definitely wanted to plug that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, and then um, and since then there's been – uh, kind of off the Doug Elgin subject, there's been a lot of teams have lost their conference or non-conference tournaments, the MTV, MTEs. Um, I think we'll probably hold off hold, talking about that until we really do the previews and the schedules are in stone because as of right now, if we talk about a tournament that might still be happening, it's probably not or yep. it might be in limbo. Um, I know a lot of teams are trying to get together at different sites. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen anything with that, but um, I know teams that have had their tournaments canceled are trying to look for something a little more regional to go yep. to with some of the you know like teams so you might be able to have like a mid-major pod in indianapolis or somewhere in indiana doing uh doing a tournament so we're just gonna have to wait and see on that i, I do you have any news on that or is it just kind of waiting and seeing on no that? news and i think we're just taking the position let's just cover it when we know probably more detailed even last week's episode um it changed by the time we published the podcast so um we're, we're gonna take the wait and see approach <laughs> but um we'll definitely cover it at length at a later time but uh, once again, congratulations, Doug Elgin, 33 years as Missouri Valley Conference Commissioner, retiring after this season. We are excited to have a friend of the Valley with us on this episode, Joe D'Alfonso. Now, he has a laundry list of accolades in the, his Valley career, so I'm just going to name them off, and then we're going to get into the, to the interview. So... Um, he started his Valley um, professional career as the Bradley Sports Information Director from 1976 through 1998. Um, he was the 2015 John Sanders Spirit of the Valley Award recipient. And what I think is very cool, he has moderated the press conference for all 30 Arch Madness tournaments in St. Louis. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. How you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. It's my pleasure to be on with you guys. So I definitely kind of wanted to start with how you got to Bradley. So I didn't even mention you went to Bradley. So a New Yorker becomes an Illinoisan. Can you take us through yes. that? Well, it was pretty simple. Um, I gave my guidance counselor a, a list of things that I wanted. Uh, go away from home to go to school, uh, study journalism, go to a small school, and uh, he found Bradley University for me, and uh, I didn't know where it was. And he said Peoria, and I didn't know where that was. So I got out a map and found out, you know, exactly where it was located. And then he said, Joe, and I've even got better news. You can get in there. So that was kind of a key thing. <laughs> and uh, so I came out to Bradley, uh, sight unseen, guys. I mean, there was no orientation. I took my first airplane ride on Ozark Airlines from New York to Peoria and uh, landed and um, looked around campus for a couple of days with my dad. The dorms opened on Sunday, and that was it. Boom. Here we go. So what got you into Bradley Athletics? Um, was it just kind of nature of being on campus, or what got you interested in um, just the career path of sports information. 
Well, you know, um, I was always a big sports guy, uh, but New York was a, a pro town, and everybody followed all the pro teams. And St. John's was the biggest name there for college basketball, but it was a pro town. When I got to Peoria, the guys on my floor said, hey, if you like basketball, I mean, this is the place to be. Bradley basketball is, is the thing. So I said, great. So I started going to games and started making a lot of friends. And then I was studying journalism. And then in my senior year, I worked sort of a writer, you know, for the sports information office because a friend of mine was uh, in charge there and did a lot of writing. I did a lot of work in there for him, not getting paid. And then the job opened up during my senior year, and I applied for it and got it. So they hired me right after graduation. I mean, the whole New York to Illinois thing is just absolutely um, just crazy in this day and age. Like, did you think when you went to Peoria that you'd, you'd be there? Like, you were, you were Bradley um, for umpteen years. Well, here's the funny thing. When I arrived as a freshman, and this was 1972, I lived on a dorm floor with 40 guys, and 10 were from New York or New Jersey. 25%. Oh. And Bradley had a big reputation in the, on the East Coast at that time. Maybe it still does. I'm not sure. But there were a flock of East Coast people coming and going, and I was just part of the flock, really. Uh, okay. And then after graduation, you know, I went to the first place that offered me a job because there were no jobs in New York. I drove all the way home and then had mm-hmm. to drive all the way back when I was told, you know, you got the job. So. And that's why I came back, and uh, and then it was a perfect job for a guy like me. I mean, statistics, writing, sports, athletics, you know, the whole bit, uh, good people to work with. I mean, we were – no one was making any money at that time, but it didn't matter. We were having a good time, and I upgraded the office, and, you know, the career kind of took off. So as SID, you know, in your tenure from 76 to 98, I mean, you, you got to see some um, some of the highs of Bradley – uh, basketball so four NCAA tournaments you were the right. 82 NIT champions you know yep. what kind of sticks out in your mind Whoa, a couple of things uh really uh, 82 was certainly a highlight because not only did we win the Missouri Valley Conference but we won the NIT back in Madison Square Garden my kind of stomping grounds back there had a lot of friends and family at the two games <laughs> So that was a real, real highlight, uh, really unmatched. In 1986, we won the Valley again, and we were 32-3 and three overall and was ranked, you know, as high as I think 11th or 10th in the country. And that was a magical tour because uh, we had the nation's longest winning streak and a lot of national attention. And I had to step up my game as SID that year big time. And uh, and then 1988, not only did we win the Valley, but we had the National Player of the Year in Hersey Hawkins. So I had a you know double duty there of promoting both the team and Hersey, you know, for his accolades. So that was you know those are three big things uh, just in one decade. So help me out there, Joe. You know, obviously never got to see Hersey in person uh, play. How good was he? Um, he and Larry Bird were the easiest 30-point scorers I've ever seen in college basketball. Um, they were two guys who, when you looked at their, you looked at their game and say, okay, you know, we didn't have much of a good half. You look at the stat sheet, oh, they both had 18 points. And at the end of the game, they both had 33 points. 
it was amazing. They're both amazing players. I got to really lump them together because, uh, you know, they were kind of the same type of player. Um, if they were up 10 or down 10 or the game was tied, you couldn't tell by their faces. Okay. Especially Hawk. I mean, you just couldn't tell he was so stoic. Um, so, but he was just a great shooter. He shot over 50% and he played two years with the three point shot. He got to the line a lot. Uh, he was a tremendous rebounder at 6'3", uh, tremendous defensive player. I mean, really, he was uh, an All-American in everybody's sense. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, he's so – for you, it's probably an easy pick for favorite player. I'm Sorry, maybe not for you, but for most fans, he's an easy point at the Bradley uh, roster over the years, and he's an easy pick. Are there any players that stick out to you personally um, that you have good stories on or have great memories about? Well, the first All-American that I worked uh, around was Roger Fegley, and he was a local kid from East Peoria. And uh, the reason his story is so good is because he came to Bradley on a baseball scholarship. He was a pretty good baseball pitcher and uh, got some money to play baseball, and he was a decent basketball player, so he walked on the team. And by the second year, he was a starter, averaging like 17 points a game. And his junior and senior seasons, he led the Valley in scoring and was an All-American his senior year. So that was uh, – plus, he got a basketball scholarship after that. So, I mean, he got everything paid for. Uh, so that was a great story. Um, and then, you know, Hawkins and, uh, and Jimmy Les were teammates uh, during the 86 season. Jimmy went on to win the Zanese Smith Award and then playing the NBA for five or six years. Now he's coaching college basketball. Uh, he was really, very good. Hawk was great. Uh, the 96 team featured Anthony Parker, who went on to a nice NBA career and uh, just a, a wonderful person all around. So a lot of guys. I mean, just a, a lot of good, you know, clean, top American college kids we're also good in basketball and uh, easy to work with. Yeah, you you brought up Anthony Parker there, and that, for me that was that was like my earliest years of watching college basketball when uh, going to ISU games with my family. Uh, yeah, as all those years, I guess I guess the selfish question as an ISU fan that I'm going to have is kind of talk about the war on '74. I mean, how because I remember when I was back when I was younger, I remember there were times where we'd go to Redbird Arena and there was standing room behind us, like in the yeah. concourse area. And I mean, yes. talk about how how big that rivalry was just back in the day, because obviously it's still big now. People still care about it, but it, it definitely. It, I'm sure there's some some crazy stories there. Well, you know, back in the '80s, uh, be, before that, it was it was kind of a rivalry only because of the distance between the two schools. They're 40 miles apart. Okay, so that makes it good right there. But in the 80s, the two coaches, Dick Versace and Bradley and Bob Donawal for Illinois State were total opposites, and they did really not like each other uh, on the court, off the court, wherever. And that fueled everything because there were innuendos said during the media, and the media picked up on it, plus the fact all, both teams were very good. So that's when you have a nice rivalry, is when one team is winning, the other team is winning, and both teams are winning, and it's back and forth. And, and that's what it was in the 80s when both teams were very good for a long time. And, um, but you still had the coaches, you still had the media, the fans, you know, bought tickets and there was, um, you know, that's how it really erupted. 
Yeah, so maybe let's move into Arch Madness. Um, I mean, you have 30 years. You have all of the years <laughs> of knowledge uh, for uh, Arch Madness in St. Louis. Um, first, can you just kind of take us through um, what your responsibility has been um, over the years? Well, when this tournament was moved to a neutral site by Doug Elgin, uh, and by the way, I am not a candidate to take over the commissioner's job at that office right now, but uh, just want <laughs> to get that out there. there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, when he moved the tournament there, I mean, obviously he needed professionals, you know, to help run the tournament in its most important assets. And so, he leaned on the sports information directors and he said, okay, all of you guys are going to have a, you know, important job. One guy is going to be in charge of all the statistics. And one guy is going to be in charge of the, com- uh, the uh, press conferences. One guy is going to do this. One guy is going to do that. And regardless of how, how long your team stayed there, you got to stay in work because you got to make the tournament work. So I was given the job as press conference you know, moderator and, um, but I was working with all my, you know, constituents there. Uh, everybody had a job, but everybody was a pro, and so that helped get the tournament, you know, off the blocks. Yeah. So um, as press conference moderator, you know, through the years, there's got to be some moments that stick out to you. Um, let's start out with the high moments. What what kind of uh, stick out to you as those moments that I won't forget? Well, you know, the high moments are the last day when you crown a champion, really. You, you've crowned 30 champions, and the high moments come when a good coach wins, okay? And you like the coach, and he's a good guy, and he doesn't cheat, and he's done it the right way. And he's crowned the champion, and you kind of like that, and you kind of get into that, even though it's not your alma mater or the team that you want to win. But you feel good about these guys, okay? It's really all about the coaches because they're there year after year, and you kind of bond with them a little bit. Um, When Rick Heron, when the Salukis won three straight, you know, Rick Heron was the coach. He came storming up to the on the dais there, and he started talking before anyone said anything, before anyone was seated, and he just started rambling on for about three minutes on how great these guys were in the last game. And then he looked at me and I said, Coach Heron will now open up with an opening statement. And everyone laughed because he had said everything he wanted to say, you know, impromptu. And uh, But he was a good old boy, and, you know, we like Rich. He won three in a row. He's the only coach that's ever won three in a row there. Um, but you know, that's a, the winners are the happy moments, um, and that's it's, it's a far cry from what happens when you lose and you know bad things happen. Yeah, I could. Uh, I would love to know any Rich Heron stories you have. You know, maybe we can take it off the air. But as the resident Saluki <laughs> fan, um, those are definitely three years that um, in my young childhood I remember very fondly. Um, about, yeah, uh, Rich's press conferences and. Maybe lack of uh, understanding of some of the things he says in uh, press conferences as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You know that was a day before we had the you know the transponders you know uh, in the building or or remotely that had to type everything they said. We just had note takers, and they had a hell of a job with Rich, you know, because he had his own language. And uh, you know, but he's he was great. I remember him as a high school coach, and you know, he had all these things said about him that he couldn't do it on the college level, and. 
uh, by, but he proved them wrong. He was one of the great coaches in Saluki history. Absolutely. Yeah, no, yep. I was, I was going to go now, I guess, to go to the negative side. Can talk about talk about how, you know, have you have you had any experiences where it's just like you, you can remember a coach coming in and it's just a, a bit of a bummer. Like for me, I think of like like even last year, I mean, how, how tough it was for Loyola the way they lost or um, Northern Iowa with the, with them not knowing their fate at the time, um, kind of coming in the press conference, having to face the media. Have you ever, I mean, does anything stick out to your head that, you know, God, I just, I, you were sitting there where you're just like feeling so horrible for that head coach and those players. Well, you know, you're talking about coaches who lose games and they know they're going to be fired. That's the worst part. That's the absolute worst. I mean, two years ago, um, the Salukis lost and, um, we did the winning team first and then the Salukis came up and we did uh, Barry Hinson and his two student athletes, Rhonda Dias. And um, before Barry walked up the steps, he leaned over to me and he says, Joe, I'm going to need you a few minutes afterwards. I'm going to resign. And I said, Barry, you know, whatever you want. So we got through with the student athletes. We dismissed them. And he came up there and he resigned on the spot and, told why and stuff like that. And there, there wasn't a dry eye in the house except for mine because I had to, you know, keep it in. But, you know, I got Mike Holders out there crying. I got the media people crying. I got boosters crying. And, you know, the guy running the, the, the tapes and the lights, he's weeping over there. So, I mean, it was bad. Um, and, we, and that was the second time we went through with Barry because when he was at Missouri State, he lost one year. And he kind of knew he was going to get the axe. And it was a very, very, you know, hard scene, you know, with him trying to say goodbye without really knowing, you know, if he was going to get fired that day or the next day or whatever. But we all knew it. And, you know, that was – that was that's terrible stuff. Yeah, no, that was such a surreal moment. I mean, I can I can just remember that game because, I mean, it was just another year where, where they – when I, they went out, when they, they kind of had – went into the tournament with – thinking that, you know, maybe we can make a run in this tournament for, I think it was the second straight year with Fletcher and those guys. And mm-hmm. it's it just, you feel bad going back and thinking about his whole tenure in the Valley where he's been so close and just couldn't get yep. over the hump. I mean, talk about, yep. I just, I guess, I guess we'll kind of do a sidebar here. Talk about what kind of guy he was. I mean, it sounds like everybody you talk to in the, in the Valley talks about how, you know, they love Barry Henson. Well, count me in on that group for sure. I mean, I consider us friends. You know, I have his phone number. We text, you know, sometimes and even today. And uh, he was a wonderful person to me, always has been, to my wife. Uh, He's great to my kids. He called my kids in, and they were ball boys one year, and he put them in the the, uh, layup line for Missouri State, gave T-shirts and stuff. Um, just a great guy. I mean, there's not a person that can say, you know, a bad thing about Barry, except he didn't win enough. And that, what are you going to do about that? Right. Yeah, no, he was, he was just, uh, I mean, he's, he's kind of one of those icons of the league for sure. Um, has there ever, so have you, I guess I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but has there ever been a moment where you've, uh, where like a press conference feels like it's, it's going south or there's a, anything happens during the press conference where, you know, maybe maybe a coach is just a little too fired up after a win or a loss. I mean, is there anything that comes uh, you know, to mind? Well, Greg Marshall comes to mind uh, when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Greg wasn't the, the greatest winner or loser, you know, in his first couple of years at Wichita State. And uh, we had a deal with that. And, um, 
you know, uh, but there was a time, there was a story when Evansville came in to the league and they were very good and uh, they had some really good players and Jim Cruz was the coach and he was up on the dais with a couple of his players and there were some controversial calls near the end of the game and they lost the game. And so a reporter from Evansville asked his student athletes, you know, what they thought of the officiating, you know, right there. And, uh, and I butted in and I said, guys, I said, it's against the rules to criticize officiating. You can answer it any way you want, but consider yourself warned here. The writer got pretty pissed at me because he wanted just an answer. And, um, you know, I said, listen, I'm not going to warn a coach like that because he's an adult, but uh, these guys probably don't know the difference. And I don't want them suspended for the first two games of next year. So there it is, you know, take it or leave it. And so that was, that got me a little hot under the collar a little bit because I thought he was trying to take advantage of the kids. Um, But besides that, most of the coaches are professionals. They say the right things all the time. The only bad stuff comes when they think they're going to get fired and, you know, and it's the last press conference and they got to say goodbye and so on and so forth. And, you know, that's tough. Uh, Royce Waltman was another one like that. I mean, he knew he was going to get axed from Indiana State. and He just didn't win enough. And he was a good guy also. Everybody liked him. And then he was. He was fired. And when he was asked if he wanted to coach again, he said, yeah, I want to coach again, but no one's going to hire me because I didn't win enough. Uh, other guys get fired because they cheat, but they always get other jobs. I just didn't win enough, and that always stuck with me. That's crazy. That, that see, that's the kind of stuff you love to hear, like those stories. And just going back to your story about warning the players. I mean, that's just God. That's being so quick on your feet, just thinking about that kind of stuff. Because I mean, that's every. I mean, I'm sure you've got a million things going through your mind trying to moderate a press conference, and then to think on the spot there, just hey, guys. Look out! We don't want to see this uh, yeah. escalate yeah. thing for you guys next year. God, that's so awesome of you for doing that. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I really need to. I really need to watch the clock. I really need to work the room. Make sure there are you know questions answered from both sides of the room. Give everybody a chance. Make sure that uh, there aren't questions like that. I mean, there's it's not brain surgery, but you got to be on your toes and you know do some certain things as a professional and. And they don't last long. It's it's ten minutes and out, you know, for each team. So you know, it depends on how the game went, is how the ten minutes are going to go. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, the one. So the next piece I want to ask you about is just Arch Madness as a whole. I mean, talk about the your just memories of of watching the tournament because I know I've I've seen I've seen you out there, you know, watching the games when when we're between games yep. and things like. That. Is there just do you have a memory of like you know a game or a just a tournament to you know maybe it was. Um, some team making a crazy run, like look at Valpo this year with their with their great four night run. Um, is there any any of those type of memories you have? Well, you know, um, uh, that's that's a great question, and there there are so many. You got to understand that we had many years, and we had Tulsa, Creighton, and Wichita State in the tournament. They're all gone now, so you know, I'm not thinking about just ten teams. I'm thinking about thirteen teams. Uh, who's gone in there. In some years, that only the top eight, you know, were only allowed to play, and the other two stayed home. Um, so it's changed over the years. Um, but, you know, I was the SID when Deion Jackson made the, the great turnaround shot to win the game over Missouri State. 
uh, coached by Steve Alford, when he just flung the ball from the three-point line and made it at the gun, um, that's the greatest memory in the history of the league tournament right there. Uh, and then Coleco Bowie from Missouri State made one against Bradley the year after with about five seconds left, maybe about 40 feet, but he was facing the basket. So those two things come to mind right away. And then last year's tournament, when you've got the five seed playing the seven seed for the championship and everyone else is gone and all the upsets, never saw anything like that, probably never will again. Yeah, that was one of those surreal tournaments. Like, maybe not what we know now that there wasn't an NCAA tournament, but, like, everyone kind of wanted to be excited, but everyone knew that, okay, now you and I is going to be sweating for the next week. And, um, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have Loyola there that could have been sniffing. Um, right. There's always just that downer. And especially when, you know, maybe talk about the proximity you have to some of the staff and their reactions, because I would say there's a – component of Arch Madness is that we, as a, as a conference, take your individual legions out of it. There's a certain way we want a tournament to go for the national notoriety. Do you have any of those conversations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Going back to Greg Marshall, okay? He's playing somebody in his first or second year in a tournament, maybe third year, and, it's, and the Shockers have brought, you know, a thousand people to sit up there, and they're yellow and gold and black and uh, Marshall is pounding on the table with the commissioner and saying this is a conspiracy you don't want us to win blah 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 and you know Elgin would say to me he says I I just want to say to Greg look at the fans in the stands why would I be rooting against you why would I want to say oh give me a break you know I'm, I'm an intelligent guy yes you know under their breath they have favorites and they you know we don't sell out twice and I think 2006 without, you know, the right teams winning. And so it's sure. I mean, I think that way, you know, last year I'm thinking, boy, do I want all these Northern Iowa fans to go home in the first round? That's what happened. So, you know, that's, so you got to think that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was such a bummer with both Northern Iowa and Loyola, the two farthest teams who probably brought the most fans just turn around and have them go home, you know, even as a, you know, as, yes, I want the Salukis to stay as long, and those are great years when they do, but, you know, that's an easy commute. But as a Valley fan, I'm like, this is – as much as it's great for uh, Valpo, it's not good for us as a whole um, on the national stage. Now, thankfully, I think the current state of things uh, will cover up a lot of that. But, yeah, that's interesting to, to hear that perspective from you. Yeah, the Valley, the Valley tournament really took off – when Bradley, Illinois State, Missouri State, and Southern were all good, okay, mm-hmm. but they brought the most fans, and the attendance was going up and up and up and up. Then Creighton and Wichita State absolutely took over, and with the other teams were good, so be it, but they weren't always good. So now we've lost Creighton, we lost the Shockers, and we got to get Bradley and Illinois State and Southern back good again so the fans, you know, come back because – they really don't sell that many tickets in St. Louis for neutral fans. You know, it's a great spectacle and a affordable ticket, but the fans have got to come from the, the league members. For sure. For sure. And then one more question about like, kind of where we're talking about how, you know, there's, there's teams that you want to see win. Have you ever been as the moderator, have you ever seen in a press conference, you're like, 
gosh, this coach really needs to try to sell himself to uh, to a national committee in this press conference where he needs to say the right things about trying to get into the tournament, and he's just not doing it. Have you ever had that position? Because sometimes I hear it when you've got a team that you know is going to be on the bubble that you almost feel like they need to start getting into salesman mode. And, and have you ever have you ever seen that kind of thing, either a team, a coach actually going into sales mode or one that should have who didn't? Well, right now in the league, Ben Jacobson and Porter Moser do a very good job of that. I mean, they sell the league as good as anyone uh, in the league right now. Uh, they've been on the bubble. They've been in the tournament. They've been out of the tournament. They know how it works. And what they say, you know, carries some weight. You know, Porter was in the Final Four just a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, I have seen that. Uh, but most coaches who are going to do it, do it pretty well. And um, uh, I haven't seen a coach struggle with that. They, they, they wear their heart on their sleeve pretty well. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and you can tell with the, the – it, it kind of there's a different feel with this league that, from other ones that it's, it's kind of – there's so much passion in the league, but now kind of now moving forward, um, kind of looking at the the current state of the league. I mean, from my perspective, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts. It feels like a couple of years ago, the the league was kind of at a, a little bit of a down, kind of that uh, that valley they were in. It feels like mm-hmm. in the last two seasons, coming coming into this season, we're really kind of coming back to that where we're one of the strongest mid major conferences, and we're. Um, people are going to be talking about us from jump street instead of, you know, midway through the season, if we have a decent team or not. Um, kind of wondering your perspective on, on watching the Valley all these years. So they kind of, do, do you have that same feeling? I do. And it's because, you know, the Valley is a league that will recruit freshmen and four years later, they'll be playing as seniors. Okay. Um, there won't be any one and dones, not too many coming into this league. So if you recruit good freshman classes, and a lot of teams have done that, you're going to probably be good, you know, for two or three years, especially when these kids are seniors. And that's when you have to take advantage, you know, of your classes. And right now the Valley has that. They had a good freshman class two years ago. They had a really good one last year. And uh, I think the future is bright. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you've got your Power Five. You've got your Big East. You know, the Mountain West likes to envision themselves as, you know, a power conference because they have football. But right after that, right after that, if you're talking about the Atlantic 10, you've got to talk about the Missouri Valley. I mean, there's no really separating the two. And that's the next level. That's the level right there. Yeah, no, and it's kind of, it's always kind of frustrating, especially the Valley fan, whenever you always hear them talk about it. It always feels like they kind of put Atlantic 10 just on a peg, just slightly ahead of the Valley. But, I mean, the Valley has the has such a good tournament history where when they go to the NCAA tournament, not only do they go there, they win games, they go on runs. And it just right. – I, I, I sometimes feel like that keeps kind of that chip on our shoulder as Valley fans. I think the reason for that, guys, is because uh... – you know, when you come into St. Louis and you're playing the tournament, you're playing to get in the NCAA. It's do or die. The power conferences, they're playing for seeds, okay? They know they're in. They just want to see if they're going to be a five seed, a six, an eight, or whatever, okay? So there's really not as much pressure. They know they're going to be in the big dance. Valley teams, no. Tooth and nail. It's, it's all out. And then that shows up in the, on the next level. Yeah, for sure. So, so take now. I got to put you on the spot one more time before we before we finish this off. Your thoughts about this coming season? I, I it, from my perspective, it looks like we've got two teams right there at the top. You've got Bradley knocking right on the door. Your thoughts going into this year? How do you how do you see things rolling out? 
Well, I think I think Bradley is uh, if they come out with a poll, Bradley's going to be picked like fourth or fifth because they lost their starting backcourt, three starters overall, and uh, you know, and people look at that. I think Loyola they return all five starters, and Northern Iowa does too. They're going to be picked one, two, pick the pick the the way they go. And I think Indiana State, with their returnings, uh, returning starters, are going to be picked very high. I think Bradley will be picked like fourth or fifth, but they'll be the most dangerous because they don't really know who was sitting out last year, and Bradley had a really lot of talent sitting out. Uh, so I, I like them to, to place in the top three. I think Northern Iowa and Loyola will be there because of their styles of play and their coaches. And um, and I think you know if we if we get a race, it'll be a great race. I know we are looking forward to it. I don't think any of us know what this season's even going to look like from a home game, from a non-conference. You know, I feel like schedules are changing um, every minute. Um, yep. But yep. thank thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight, um, Joe. You are a staple of Arch Madness. All thirty. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, next time you have me on, next time you have me on, we'll talk about all the NCAA tournaments I moderated and all the coaches I met and what happened there. All right. Well, we're uh, we're going to hold you to that. We need to get you on that recurring guest um, status <laughs> yeah. with us after tonight. Uh, but no, I definitely to our listeners listening, go out to YouTube. There's some great uh, press videos on YouTube from Arch. Yeah, Madness. and when and when you guys and and to all the fans out there. After the games, now, some of you may or may not know this, but after the games, they host the the pressers. And Joe's yeah. Joe's the guy. Every single year, I mean, even when I wasn't going to the tournament, I would go online. And I'd hear Joe's Joe's voice every single time. And um, like I can just reiterate what Vance said. Thank you for everything you've done for the league. It's just um, you are a staple of the league. And and well, thank yeah. you very much. I enjoyed my time with you guys. I look forward to it all day long. And so I'm a little sad it's over, but good luck, and we'll we'll do it again sometime. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, we are holding you to that. So thank you again. All right. Thank you. All right, Baker, it's the beginning of October. Uh, Let's just do some rapid fire takes. Would you rather's? Where's our head at as of October 1st? Let's do it. Okay. So first one, I think, um, since we're not talking scheduling on this episode, okay, will there be 18 regular season Missouri Valley Conference games played? Yes. Okay. As it stands right now. Do you agree? I don't know. Okay. So the Because re- I think the barometer right now is the NFL um, postponing games due to COVID, players getting it. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant just because where we're at, because what was it, Titans and Vikings? Is that the two? Correct. Um Taking it to the clubhouse, uh, for lack of a better term, yeah. and postponing games. Um, I hope we play 18. So let me tell you where my head's at. And I don't know if this will make you change your mind or think about it a little differently. As a conference, it's a lot. It, so if you told me, is every team going to play all their non-conference, game, I was, non-conference games, I would have said no. Yeah. But when you talk about the conference, you could easily do a like a bubble scenario for like a weekend and play a couple of games in a weekend and say, you know, maybe we do the four Illinois teams all meet in normal and they mm-hmm. play, everybody plays each other. Yeah. Or you do, 
you know, the Iowa schools will play a couple games together. You could do some creative things as a conference where you could maybe meet in the middle and play at neutral sites just to get the games in. Okay. So I'm a little more confident in the conference games being played. Um, but like I said, in the non-con, I think it's a little, it's a little more dicey. All right. Um, so next one. Of the Thursday night teams from the 2020 Arch Madness, um, so Thursday night teams were Drake, Illinois State, Evansville, and Valparaiso. Of those four, which one is most likely to finish in the top half of the Valley? I really want to say Illinois State because I'm an Illinois State fan. Um, but to be unbiased, I think you have to say Drake just because of who they're bringing back, even though they did lose the big fella. Um, they have one of the best backcourts in the league. And I think that goes for something. If they're, if they're shooting well, they can win a lot of games just on their shooting alone. Now, I don't know how they're going to do um, throughout the whole 18 games in the regular season. Um, I'm a little less confident in them as I was probably before um, he transferred to Minnesota. But, um, yeah, you got to go Drake, especially because DeVries, um, he's a really good I – th- I personally think he's a really good coach. I don't think two years ago was a flash in the pan. Um, I know they struggled a little bit last year, but I, th- I do think he's a really good coach. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, so originally I thought Illinois State, and I think I was just homering for you, but I really You like- can say it. You can say Illinois State. Well, yeah, sure. But <laughs> I really like Drake. Um, I really like Roman Penn. Um, mm-hmm. I think that he he's a – I just like him for Drake. He's a game changer. And I think they have something to fight for, right? It's like, okay, so we lost our best player. You know, we're still seniors. We can jump in and, and do it. Or the seniors will jump in and, and you know, guide them to victories, hopefully. So um, I, I think it's Drake or Illinois State, but I'll go with Drake. And, and the one thing about it is Illinois State, I, and we talked about it last week. I know it's going to, when we talk about them, I feel like I'm being such a homer. But I think a lot will depend on how they start because I feel like confidence is everything. Yep, Absolutely. All right, so uh, next one. <laughs> um, let's go Would You Rather, because I think the next one's going to have more back and forth on. So, would you rather Illinois State to finish the regular season in the top four, regular season top four, or play Thursday night, so you're in the bottom four, but you make the semifinals of Arch Madness? <laughs> That's tough. Um, so regular season top four or Arch Madness top four is essentially what you're saying. Yeah, I guess. It, and I don't know how we do on the semifinal. I just know that we're going to get there. It doesn't mean we're going to lose or win, right? Just you get there. Just say, let's say they lose. So you lose in the semis. Okay, then I take top four. Top four, top regular, four season. regular season. And if you'd have told me that we were going to, you're going to make the semifinals no matter what. You don't know how you're going to do, but you're, you 100% will make it from Thursday to semifinals. I would have taken that because I know a top four in the league is not going to get us to the NCAA tournament. And as an Illinois State fan, that's tunnel vision. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you thought that's how I was going to answer it, but, I mean, I don't know. I feel like top four gives us in the conversation for an NIT. And if okay. I know I'm going to lose in the bottom half of the league on, on Saturday at Arch Madness, it doesn't really make a difference. See, I'm such. They've a... lost so many times at Arch Madness, Vance. It's not I like know. I. How many title games? Like six in a, six in a row. Like <laughs> what if I said the title game and you lose again? In Tim I'd, say no. I'd six. say no. I'd say no. No, I say no. Um, <laughs> I, I would take a pass if I know I'm gonna lose. In the, send us home okay. Thursday. Send us home Thursday. 
Um, I, can, I don't know if I can handle another Sunday loss. So, um, trying to stop laughing, but um, I'm such an Arch Madness purist that I'd much rather see the lights turn off on Saturday than finish top four in the regular season. That Those three days in St. Louis are more important to me than anything. So, if Illinois State, if it has not, if it hadn't been... 22 are going to be 23 years since they've cut down the nets in St. Louis. I probably would agree with you, but it's going to be 23 years this year. Um, I would like to win Arch Madness or just, I don't care okay. at that point. It's, it's, I think, and, and you might, Illinois State fans might feel differently, but like to me, at this point, as long as it's been anything less than winning, going to Arch Madness, if you go to Arch Madness and win, that's great, but that's that's what it should be. That's the that's the standard we need to try to get to. Unfortunately, you guys are at the momentum level. You need momentum and you need consistent success. Right, and that's what and that's the thing. Like, if you tell me we're going to lose in St. Louis, you might as well just give us top four, and then we take our shots at maybe making the NIT or one of the other one yeah. of the other tournaments, and maybe get confidence going in next year, especially with the group we have. Okay, so I said this on Twitter. Um, this is my last one. Um, I really want to send Doug Elgin out with three teams in the NCAA tournament. Three. There I think go. that's a lot. So let's bump it down to two. Will there be two teams in the Missouri Valley as of October 1st, 2020 in the 2021 NCAA tournament? I think, I don't have any doubt in my mind that we're going to get two. Do you want to say names? I think that the two are going to be loyal and northern iowa i actually think both teams as long as they don't have you know as long as they can get out of the valley with less than like four losses Mm -hmm. and don't suffer those bad losses like last year with northern iowa they suffered the loss at southern which is i'm not saying it's a bad loss because southern was decent but like to them they shouldn't have lost they can't they could not afford to go to southern lose they could not afford to go to Terre Haute and lose they would have felt better about losing on friday with a win at southern right a week before and that was the thing so do I, I think last year is going to be motivation for Northern Iowa to avoid those slip-ups yeah. because they know that their margin of error is like nothing. Same thing with Loyola, the way they went down at Arch Madness last year. I think that they are going to have such a good team. They are, they're bringing everybody back. Cooper Kafis is back as well, who I, I think is really good. Um, yeah, I think both of those two teams are going to be in the at-large conversation. And in my mind, I think one of them, at least for sure, one of them is going to get an at-large bid. Um and then that comes down to Arch Madness, where I think that, you know, more often than not, the team that wins the league doesn't win Arch Madness. Yeah. What do you think? I don't hate your take. Um, I would maybe switch out some names, because until someone other than Bradley Braves can go to St. Louis and win, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not there yet. Um, I'm probably Team Bradley. Um, but that has nothing to do with the regular season, right? Um, the only thing is it gets me is I hope the committee... If there's a committee, if we haven't have a 2020, hey, every team might make it, so the birds might still make it. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I think we're gonna. There's not as much weight in non-conference for the mid-majors because the committee loves to say, "Oh, in November, you and I lost a so and so." Like they love to say that. I was like, that makes zero sense to me. Um, so I think that there's going to be less of an emphasis on the non-con and more emphasis on regular season, which is where I think the Valley thrives. Yeah, and I think that the fact that all the Valley, I think the Valley as a whole is going to, in whatever limited non-conference they play, I think the Valley is going to be really successful, one to ten this year in the in the non-conference because 
and that'll at least boost the conference up as a whole. So I think that that actually has to happen, though, to even be sniffing at-large contention. But then again, Northern Iowa and Loyola, they're both names that... Northern Iowa is one of the bigger name mid-majors, I'd say, in the country. People know who mm-hmm. Northern Iowa is. Um, Loyola just went to a Final Four. So these aren't necessarily just your run-the-mill mid-majors. They're, they've got a little bit of clout behind them. So I think that also helps. Yep, absolutely. All right, we're going to do this from time to time. These are just the thoughts I wrote down um, throughout the week and just throw them at Baker and see how he responds. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I like your, your thoughts. There you go. This has been episode two of the 2020-2021 Missouri Valley Conference season. We had a great episode. We had a great conversation with Joe D'Alfonso just about his time um, in the Valley as SID at Bradley um, and also moderating all press conferences for all 30 Arch Madnesses. Um, Also, me and Baker just, you know, threw some uh, would-you-rathers or just hey, where our heads are at on October 1st of 2020 uh, for this upcoming season. Um, Baker, where can people find us? Yeah, you guys can uh, send us uh, send us questions, feedback on anything that you hear. Uh, love to hear what you think about these episodes that we've been doing. Um, MarchArchMailbag at gmail.com. And also you can uh, catch us on Twitter at, at MarchArchPod, at MarchArchBaker. Uh, send us your thoughts there. Uh, love to hear from all you guys. And for that, I'll say congrats on retirement announcement, uh, Commissioner Doug Elgin. Um, and go Valley and go Dogs. Go Birds. Start talking about the Valley. Why not? <laughs>